We're very excited today to be joined by Howard Sumaro. Howard, thank you for joining us today. I know this is a little reversal of roles here, but we're going to give it a shot and see how we can do. Yeah, Anthony, great to be with you. Um, wow, I just love everything you've done for sports. It's, it's so fun uh, to be in this kind of a forum with you. And we were talking off the air just briefly, like I've never, I don't think I've ever fully been in interviewed by someone. This is so unique and so different to me. I'm always the one doing the interviewing. So yeah, well, you know what? Know. We're trying to, I'm trying to document uh, basketball uh, around here, and you can't really tell the story of basketball at a high level without talking to Howard Samara. So you know, you've obviously covered the sport for a very long time. You've covered football. You cover all the different stuff. But we're going to go back to the beginning. How did how did sport have an impact on you as a kid? And, and, and what it, what, how did that kind of formulate? What, what was the origin story on that? Well, yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting question. For me, sports started um, when I just, I mean, I was a little kid. I was five years old, six years old. And I remember where we lived in a pretty rural part of Delta. Uh, I would, you know, it's not that far away as I see it now, but it might as well have been on Mars where I grew up, which is very far removed from the suburban areas in Delta. And I was unable to really participate in any team sports when I was a kid, all of that kind of stuff. But my dad was a huge hockey fan. And although hockey's not a sport, like I'm known to write about or cover specifically, well, I'll tell you, the first time I watched Hockey Night in Canada, 1970, 71, and I just somehow gravitated towards being a Montreal Canadiens fan. And Ken Dryden, he came up at the end of the year and Montreal went on this most incredible run and won the Stanley Cup um, as an underdog team that year. And, and from that point on, I was hooked, like just absolutely hooked on sports. I started watching the Expos on CBC. Um, my favorite thing was to cut the pages of the Vancouver Sun, uh, which we got delivered to our house on River Road. and just make a big scrapbook of hockey, Vancouver Canucks, Montreal Canadiens, anything like that, just in a huge scrapbook. And I still remember doing that. And it's just so weird that, I mean, you know, who knows where life takes you, but you know, by the time I'm working, I'm working within that newspaper chain. It's so bizarre to think, but that was the start for me. Just really, I don't think too different from other people, but um, from where I was a fan, I thought that was the different part because I never got to play team sports. I never got to understand what that dynamic was about. And it wasn't until like the eighth grade when I was in junior high that I actually saw a football game, actually saw a basketball game. And you could have knocked me over with a feather. It was the most powerful thing, Anthony, I ever saw in my life. Like I just could not get over how these kids had already known how to play these sports, but that's how far removed I was from everything. So I'm the sports writer that never played the sports that, and I don't know if that shaped my view of how I write and look at athletes, but, but that's my genesis. Well, it's worked out. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll take it as a positive. Yeah. The, um, so where'd you go to high school? Or sorry, where'd you go to middle school? And then where'd you end up going to high school? Well, I went to, it's funny. I, I went to this, I just got to tell people, I went to this tiny little two room schoolhouse grade one through five on River Road. Um, it's now a mosque. So you'll know the area that I'm talking about along River Road in Delta. Uh, eventually made it to Sands Junior Secondary, the second year that it was open. So 76, 77 was my grade eight year. I went there for three years. Um, formative in terms of watching sports and getting into photography and the yearbook and all that stuff. And then North Delta Secondary School, uh, I graduated uh, in 1981. Uh, from North Delta. So yeah, basically, I've never left North Delta. I still live in North Delta. Um, 
once a husky, always a husky is what they say around these parts. Yeah, no kidding. We'll take yeah. it. They, um, so you, you, you graduated from North Delta. Where did you end up going to university and what do you take? Where did I end up going to university? I went, this is crazy. And, you know, just based on the family, uh, being part of a Japanese Canadian family and real blue collar. And I think all my cousins were going to university. I thought I had to do the same thing. I actually went to BCIT for six weeks and I took chemical metallurgy. So let that one sink in. And I was so far out of my league coming out of high school that in six weeks I quit. I came home crying to my dad. I cannot do this, you know, kind of uh, just had an odd job until the end of that year and then enrolled in the journalism program. It was a one year program in the fall of 1982 uh, at Kwantlen College in Richmond um, and uh, just took it from there. I got a job right out of uh, right out of that program, you know, two or three months after I graduated, I was already working and uh, basically just took it from there. Where did you get a job? I got a job. I got a job in Houston, British Columbia. So, I mean, I can remember leaving home at 18 or 19 packing up this uh this chevy this ford comet this 1973 ford comet with everything i owned and had no clue what i was doing and took took me two days to drive up north to houston which is in the lake district's country it's a really nice area but i, I drove into town and it said welcome to the moose capital of the world and I, I was again out of my element but got to cover everything and even covered you know my first high school basketball team the, the houston wolverines uh, of all teams, a single A team. And, and really that kind of set off my whole love of high school basketball, just getting a chance for one year far away from home with nobody really reading my stuff, except maybe a hundred people in the town uh, writing about the high school basketball team up there. Uh, I mean, what, what an interesting, you know, like one of the things we, I keep saying this every, every time, but the path to the end result is, is, is very rarely like this. It's like, you got to do one of these. So you end up in Houston, you do that for a year. Where are you going now? Well, I was actually there for like six months, just in the winter. I got a job at the Delta Optimist uh, in Ladner, a terrific community newspaper. Uh, it's still around. Um, and uh, yeah, that would have been from, I believe, February of like 84 uh, till the summer of 86, right when Expo started. I remember the weekend that Expo 86 started, I started at the now newspaper chain, as its sports editor. So this is a, a chain that uh, kind of came out of the old Columbia newspaper. A lot of those workers uh, got this new newspaper chain going. And when I got that job, Anthony, it wasn't just, they weren't separate papers. It, I was the sports editor for the Burnaby Now, the Coquitlam Now, the Surrey North Delta Now, and the Newest Minster Now. And they each came out twice a week. And literally the, the size of those sports se sections was huge. And uh, we were even using typewriters when I started there. So I mean, I covered everything, and that is the place where I, I put my plan into action. I was buying the USA Today, uh, which you had to look for in those days on the newsstands, and I looked at how they covered high school sports. They had a super 25 uh, boys and girls basketball rankings, and I said, I'm doing that. So I started doing a super 25. Um, I was there for four or five years, and eventually the guys at the province saw those rankings, and they said, like, come on, come on over to the province. We'll hire you for the summer. Do you want to take a chance? Uh, we can probably hire you full time, you know, in a, in a year or so. So I just, I quit working at the now when I went there, not knowing I had any guarantee at all. And it all kind of worked out. And it, it wasn't too much later uh, that, the, that the NBA came to Vancouver. So from that point on, I had some momentum and I kind of took it until the Grizzlies left. And 
the rest uh, has kind of delivered me here to this spot. Well, we're not going we're, <laughs> to, we're not jumping that far ahead. Let's talk about the Grizzlies. So what was yeah. that like? The Grizzlies came. Um, what were you covering before the Grizzlies? And then what happened when the Grizzlies, when, when the Grizzlies arrived? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, uh, well, when I got to the province, I was covering high school sports. And uh, when, once I got hired there full-time, Anthony, the sports editor there, a guy named Lowell Ulrich, decided that he was going to give me one full page a week to cover high school sports. Like, that might not seem like a lot, but at that point, that was literally revolutionary. Like, there was nothing, that did not exist, that, that we would get a page a week um, to, to cover this, this level of sports. And, and, I, and I just dove into that, took it so seriously. Uh, and really a very enjoyable time in my career. Um, I can remember the day as well. It was February the 23rd, 1993. I come into the office and Lowell Ulrich says to me, hey, there's this tiny little item in the back of the USA Today. And it says that there's three groups in Toronto bidding to try and bring the NBA to Vancouver. Why don't you call and see if there's any interest in Vancouver? So I called out of the blue. I'd never spoken to the guy. I called Arthur Griffiths on the, on the line. I said, hey, it's Howard from the province. Um, I'm reading that there's three groups in Toronto. Is there any interest in Vancouver? And he said, yes, we've already talked to the NBA. And boom, just like that, it was in the paper the next morning. And it, it, like, I'm not boasting or bragging. It's just a proud moment for me, Anthony, as a reporter. I broke the story that they were coming to Vancouver. Ah. And for me, it's one of the greatest days I've, I've had in journalism. It was because... Well, it's a, hold on a second. It's it's not just about a uh, great day in journalism for you. It's it's a major day in in the history of our city. Like it's not just another event. Like that's that's a big but deal. It, it is. But but the reason I say that is, you know, the next day when the paper came out, if you turn the radio on, people were laughing at the story. Like they were they were literally laughing and saying, "How did he get that so wrong?" Like. I, <laughs> The, the, the other newspaper, and those guys are all my friends. I don't mean this in a bad way at all. The Vancouver Sun didn't even react to the story for like a week. They didn't do anything on it, right? And then I turned on CKNW for the noon sports the day that story came out, and it was literally just laughed off like it was never going to happen. And all of a sudden, this thing happens, right? And it was an amazing, amazingly quick journey from the first mention of the franchise in February 23rd of 93 to GM place being built and the thing opening in the fall of 1995. Like that is fast, right? And that started it and it was an incredible journey, but uh, I will say not the most enjoyable one, the way it all ended. Okay. So you, you, you get pushed over to cover the Grizzlies. What do you do with the Grizzlies? What's it like? Obviously a major change from covering high school sports. Give me a sure. little rundown of what that was like. Yeah, it was exciting, Anthony. I'll tell you, I, I kept doing high school sports for that duration from the time we found out they were coming until we started in 95. And I, I, not, it's not that I don't love, don't love high school sports, but I had a tr hard time focusing on anything but the NBA. Like, I was hopeful I would get that beat. I was not guaranteed to get it. I was the youngest guy in the department. And uh, I threw myself into it like 24-7 to bring myself up to speed on everything that was happening. I bought a satellite dish a big, huge C-band dish in my backyard. I'm, I, I taped games night and day, and I still have them all, too, on VHS, like games from, you know, Prime Sports Boston and places like that where you would get all these wow. games. Just, just trying to get ready, just trying to get the draft, watching everything happen. 
uh, you know, in terms of first Stu Jackson's hiring, who's going to be the coach, here's Brian Winters, what's the team going to be called, all that kind of stuff, incredibly exciting. Uh, and then once that season started, I can still remember, so Lowell Ulrich and I actually covered the team, um, splitting up that schedule, deciding who was going to go on what road trips. Um, a lot of the stuff gets hazy towards the end, but I can remember every road trip from that first year. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, there was an Eastern swing where, you know, the, we went through Orlando and Miami and, oh, I mean, stuff like that you just can't forget. I, <laughs> I actually am such a basketball fan, not so much an NBA fan these days, but a basketball fan that I remember when the Grizzlies played in Charlotte and I got off the plane and I was in North Carolina. I literally kissed the ground when I got off the plane. <laughs> How do you like that, man? That's I mean, a good one. No, and if you're going to do it somewhere, that's probably the place to do it. I, I love the job. I loved it. It was a privilege, an honor, an absolute dream. I told journalism kids when I would speak to their classes, my dream job was to cover the NBA. And that was before the NBA was even a rumor. And, and the fact that it happened that quickly and that early in my career, I mean, I'm just, I'm just thankful I got the chance, despite all of the crazy hurdles that that team put in front of us. Uh, it, it was a dream come true. So the, the team obviously had the worst management in the history of sports. They had, they had the worst drafting in the history of sports. They, and they really never got a chance to be successful. And, I, and I'm of the belief that if they had even just gone to 500, like if they had won half their games, it would have been sold out. I, I think people love basketball in this town, and I think they've always loved basketball. And I know it was tough to get people going at the beginning, but we were drawing like 14,000, 15,000 fans with the worst team in the history of the NBA. And if we had ever just gotten any sort of momentum, I think it would have been a skyrocket. But obviously, there was the dollar was 163. Uh, you know, we, were, we, were, we weren't selling very many tickets. The revenue wasn't working. The team probably had, you know, Arthur Griffiths obviously ran out of money. There was a whole bunch of different, very bizarre things that all happened at the exact same time. And it's funny. I remember the last year so vividly because it's when I started my business. I was in high school and I started buying Grizzlies tickets. And I remember when Steve Francis was coming back for the last game. Uh, and it was like a, it was kind of like a monumental moment in my life. But for you, covering the team for that last game, what was that like? Wow. I remember writing a story about that game and just walking through the, I got to the, I got to the arena. Uh, I still call it GM place. I got, I got to the arena early that day and I just walked through the concourse and I just talked to all the people I had gotten to know the fans and the diehards and all these guys that had been there the whole six years. And it was just an emotional, emotional time, I think for everybody uh, involved in the, in the whole Steve Francis kind of saga that closed out what happened here was such a sad thing to see. Um, you know, I, I have trouble talking about it. And, you know, people ask me to talk about the NBA these I don't, like, I hardly watch the NBA these days. It, it, it might seem crazy almost 20 years later, but it still hurts to even, to even talk about all the stuff that happened. <laughs> Just because it, it was such a slow death, Anthony. Like, we started hearing from the Bill Laurie Walmart guy coming in and just being brazen about saying, yeah, I'm, you know, don't ruin this moment for my family but I'm buying this team. And it was clear he was going to move it. David Stern said, no, here comes, you know, Michael Heisley. It was, it was excruciating. Um, and nobody else cares that the team is leaving outside of your city. 
and, and you see that dynamic in effect, th their life is just going to go on as it is. Their city will continue to have this, this incredible gathering point where we lose it here. And I don't think people fought hard enough here to keep it. No. And, you know, and all I can say to people is, and I've said it to many, is I don't think, I honestly don't think Vancouver was ready to have that basketball team. It wasn't embedded enough in our souls to know how important it was to keep it and what it would mean in the future. It was, it was simply, oh, they're a bad team. Oh, they complain because they can't get the right, you know, brand of potato chips here that they can get in the States. They can't watch ESPN. Like, everybody got hypersensitive about that kind of stuff. And it just created this kind of love-hate, uh, I think, dynamic that just was so toxic. And when they left in the end, people didn't know what was going out the door. Totally. I mean, it's funny because now people talk about Toronto with this glowing reverence, like it's the multicultural epicenter and all this stuff. And it's like, that was Vancouver, man. <laughs> we just couldn't, we got, we, we needed a little more time to get the, the word out to everybody and it just never happened. And we don't have the snow that they have over there. So like it, it would have been a huge success. And it's unfortunate that Arthur kind of ran out of cash there because he could have totally changed I mean, he would be one of the icons of our, he, sh he should be one of the great icons of our city if he could have just held it all together for just a little bit longer. It was about to turn over because he sold the team for a very little number. And that team's probably worth eight times what he sold it for today. And, and it's, it's a very interesting scenario. So anyway, let's go back to high school sports. So when you started, what was the first team that kind of got your eye and kind of got you excited to go to a high school basketball game to cover it? Oh, for me, it, it was it was a Richmond Colts that cause I, cause I started covering high school basketball in the lower mainland area, probably in the mid eighties. And by 87, 88, 88, 89, those were the two great Colt teams that won back to back. And I mean, it, it was amazing to watch those guys play. And the fact that that team, you know, you didn't have to just measure that team against the local competition, Bill Disbro, um, was had enough vision to, to, to test his guys against the teams that you could read about in the papers. There was no internet, but you could read about DeMatha. If you looked enough, you could find out that Morgan Wooten, their head coach, was one of the greatest coaches in the history you know, of, of U.S. high school basketball. And here they were coming to UBC to play Richmond. Um, just amazing. And to watch that team go undefeated two straight years against BC competition at the highest tier, that's an ingrained memory for me with Ron Putsey, Joey DeWitt, Brian Tate, all those guys. That's the first team that I can say I truly remember as a great team. Yeah, and then they were. And, and But the thing is, you know, Bill did a great job of getting people involved and, and getting to the games and filling the stands and trying to create something cool like bringing DeMath up. Um, you know, Broden actually interviewed him and he was telling me stories and I'm like, this is unbelievable. I actually started texting Putsy after I'm like, this is crazy, these stories. Like, and you know, he brought, he brought Bob Hurley seniors team as well. I mean, I wrote a piece earlier, right around the time of the provincials that there's only, I think there's only three or is there, yeah, there's only three high school coaches in the U S basketball hall of fame. And two of them played against Bill Disbro's teams in Vancouver. I don't think people think about the level of team he brought in here. It wasn't just a good U.S. team. It was the best programs that were there that came in here to play. And, and I think those who got a chance to watch that, that's a pretty special memory. So Richmond was obviously dominant um, for quite a while. What was the next thing that you moved on to that kind of like 
caught your eye? What, like, let, let's go through the history of the major impact teams that have kind of, you know, got your, got your eye. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I don't want to stick just with the boys, but in, in that regard, um, you know, the North Delta team that won it in 90 with Mitch Berger and Chad Johnson was an unbelievable basketball team. And Bill Edwards, who has been a teacher in the schools I went to as a kid, was coaching those teams. And it was an amazing experience, you know, to watch North Delta. And then, of course, by 92, you know, you know Steve Nash um, at St. Mike's was... I, it, it's funny. I, I, people say that he wasn't the player that he was going to become and he didn't have the same level of kind of... Not, not hype's not the right word, Anthony, but th- the same level of what his future was going to be. People say that that none of that showed in high school. I completely, completely disagree with that. Um, like I saw Nash play at the BC Junior Boys Championships at St. Thomas More in 1990, and I couldn't believe him. Like I thought he was unbelievable. Um, and so I, I think that if somebody was to say to me, who was the greatest high school basketball player you watched? Not, not who was Canada's greatest. Who was the best BC high school boys basketball player you saw? I would still say it was Steve Nash. Like some people might pick other players more flashy in terms of the, the points per game and that kind of stuff. But just in terms of that overall game, Nash was the guy. I, I still believe that. And uh, I just had this sneaky feeling when he went to Santa Clara that something was going to happen. Yeah, well, and it worked out for him too. Yeah. So, so you got Nash. You got, and then who else? What's the next one? What's the next one that kind of was the memory that, that sticks with you? Well, I remember that, uh, I remember that game in March of 95 at the Agrodome, and that would have been Ladysmith winning the BC Championships. I think they beat MEI in the final, but I have never seen, and I've said this many times, Tony McCrory's performance for Ladysmith. I've never seen one guy have the mantle thrust on him to the extent that he did. And everything went through this one guy and, and he led them to the title. And, and I thought that was cool because the Grizzlies were starting their first season a few months later and Stu Jackson had already been hired as the GM. And I remember he, even he said to me, he could not believe Tony McCrory and the fact that every time they went down the floor, you knew that the most pivotal moment in the offensive end of the floor was going to go through him, and he still delivered. And to this day remains to me maybe the best single-game performance I've ever seen. There's been so many great ones, so I'd hate to cheat any of them, but that 95 final with McCrory was – it was at another level uh, for me in terms of what I've watched. So that would take me right to basically before I started covering the NBA. Okay. Uh, talk about the Agrodome for a second. You know, as, as a kid growing up, you know, my grade 7 teacher took me to the Agrodome. Oh, uh, with my basketball team to go watch a game. It was kind of like hollow ground for me. Um, you know, obviously, we're both friends with the people out in Langley, and they employ you and all that stuff, and we love oh, Langley yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. But <laughs> Agrodome was like deal, man. Like, it was, it was the place. It was fantastic. Talk about the atmosphere of covering stuff at the Agrodome. And, like, I got into a fight with Winslade about uh, Kyle Wilson. I'm like, Kyle Wilson – the fact that he's not on your list is insanity. And, and he sold out the building, like sold out the building. And then he, he gave me the, you know, he didn't play the year before and all this shit. And I'm like, I don't care. He sold out the building. And I know there's other people who sold it out, but it was the first time that I had ever heard of it being sold out. And 
it, it was a magical place. So it went three deep in the back. It went, it was full to the brim. The fire coats were not in effect that night. Like it was, it was everything that you would want. And it was probably one of the cooler atmospheres ever to watch a game. And this little, little school with obviously a regional appeal, they, they were, they were in that game and they were, they were the show. And so talk a little bit about the Agrodome and, and the, the effect that it had on, on you while you were watching these games. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, first off, I should just say with regards to Kyle Wilson, Hey, wish I saw him play. It, he was in the era that the NBA was in town and I, I, I never, I never saw him play. Never saw, oh. never, I mean, Steve Ewan obviously would rave about him and, and I obviously I realized the quality of player we're talking about, but just speaking to the Agrodome in particular, as a working journalist, Anthony, it was, it was a living hell to cover basketball games in that place. We were balanced on plywood beams. Dan Stinson from the sun, I still remember this, lean back in his chair thought he oh this is a nice relaxing time that lean back in his chair and it flipped and he fell underneath the plank he must have fallen four or five feet almost underneath the risers like it was so tough to work there parking was horrible it, amenities were not there it was it was a, a, an absolute hell to cover games there but once they threw the ball up and they played it was unbelievable like that that the sight lines in there um, in a full house, the way the sound reverberated, it was an amazing place to watch a basketball game. And you know what? I love the LEC. I, I, love, I love the ease of it. I love going from gym to gym. But I, will, I won't discount what the Agrodome represented. And I think people who might have saw games at, at Ward Gym, high school games at Ward Gym and stuff, everybody's got their place. For me, the classic finals have still, it hasn't been at the LEC long enough yet, but the Agrodome was an unbelievable atmosphere. And I saw it a few times sold out too. And it, you just can't beat that environment. No, unreal. And so you finish, you finish off with the Grizzlies. They leave town. Um, you go back to high school right away? No, no. Steve Ewan was still covering high school. From what I remember, I'm trying to remember how this went. I think there was one or two years after the Grizzlies left. I think it was two years. Yes, it was. Because I covered the Vancouver Giants for two years. Um, their, their first two seasons in the Western Hockey League, I was the guy covering them. And, I, you know, let's face it, I'm out of my comfort zone there in terms of covering junior hockey. Don't really understand the whole culture of the, and, the, and the game itself, but I, I did that. Uh, and eventually, I think Steve made some moves around, and somehow I ended up back doing high school. And uh, I did that from 03-04 right through um, till, uh, till we had some uh, situations at the province with buyouts and a lot of financial stuff started happening and I elected to take a buyout and I left. So I've been gone now for three and a half years, something like that. Yeah, no kidding. So all yeah. three happens. You go back there. Who, who's the team to beat in all three? Oh, three. The first year I went back, if I'm not mistaken, and I could be wrong here, I think oh three oh four was Argyle. Um, was it not Argyle? I think, I think that would be the year after, but yeah, fair enough. Oh three oh four. Sure. Okay. So Ar Argyle was the two, right? One. With Glenn, with Glenn coming back, I mean that that was that was a big one. They had a hell of a team there that year. Yeah, that was like Sean Burke and those guys as younger players, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they were grade eleven. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I love that team. Um, it, this is a great thing about high school basketball. Is you know what you can you, the, the stories that you can tell that are so kind of innocent towards you come off covering the NBA and all of a sudden you're covering high school sports again. 
I still remember Glenn Chu told me he, he hid some toonies or loonies underneath the basket. And after they won it, he's telling this story. Like, I'm sorry, those are the best stories. It, you can cover all the pro sports you want. You will never get stories like that. And that's why it's, it's made it so easy for me to cover high school sports. Like, there's so many stories like that. Like Rick Lopez, the Churchill coach, um, at the provincials, no, at a tournament. I can't remember where it was. I, I found a, a, a loony uh, on, the, on the floor and I asked him if it was his. And he said, oh yeah, maybe it is. And I, he kind of took it. But then when Churchill won the BCs months later, he comes up to me and says, I've never stopped putting this to loony or toony in my pocket from the moment you gave me. I said, this is going to be my lucky loony. And boom, he carried it right to the end and they won the BC championship. And I'm like, that's too good. Like That's you can't a great story. Kind of he had a nice team. Play. I really like watching his team too. Yeah. Um, so you, you obviously are doing guys, you, you're doing some girls. When do you start adding other sports into the mix? Oh, I've always, I've always done other sports. Like right from the very start. Um, if, 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 if I have the opportunity and because I'm covering, you know, university sports um, as well, all sports, I'm covering all high school sports to the degree that I can. Um, like I love covering boys and girls high school soccer. I love covering rugby. Um, football is a huge passion of mine, as well as, as basketball. Volleyball, I've, I've learned the game enough that I can get out there and look for good stories. Um, I, I just feel it has to be complete. I think the thing that I love about doing this job is I love the high school sports community. And if, even if the sport is not my favorite sport, all of those athletes are connected. And, and I'm at the point now where literally every year, there's 15 or 20 kids that I write about whose parents I also wrote about. Oh, and totally. yeah, and it's an amazing kind of moment to talk to that parent who I talked to as an, as an 18 year old kid. And now there's that parent with their own child who's trying to make decisions about where am I going to go to school next year? What can I do? Uh, am I going to be rewarded for all the effort I put in? I certainly hope I can play at the next level to see that dynamic taking place. And it just is like that. It just feels like it was yesterday. That, totally. that's well, when, we, when we started BK Basketball, you wrote an article on it. And I remember taking it to the guys at Ani uh, who, were, who were sponsoring our program. And they were like, Howard Smart. There can't be another Howard tomorrow. That's the guy from like when we were in high school. And I'm like, yeah, that's him. And they're like, oh my goodness. Wow. That's awesome. They're, they were so happy that you were writing. They were reading the article. They were, they were thrilled that there was articles from Howard tomorrow being written still. So, you know, <laughs> you've kind of covered it for, for so long that it, it has, has come full circle for sure. Now we've talked a lot about basketball, but who would be like one or two of the, the athletes that you've watched in the other sports that have really stuck out? We've obviously had some pro NFL players. We've had some, some of the best volleyball players in the world. We've had some of the, you know, all these other sports have kind of done it. What, what, what were some of the ones that really kind of stuck out for you? Oh, boy. Um, I mean, it's easy to say, you know, like, like what, first off, just sticking with basketball really quickly, the fact that I got to cover three guys in high school that went and played in the NBA, Nash, Sacre, and Olenek, to me, like, that's a quota that an American reporter couldn't, most couldn't meet. I mean, it's been an incredible honor to have done that. Um, yeah, football-wise, I mean, hey, I can remember being at Abbotsford Secondary School, what, five or six years ago, when Chase Claypool signed with Notre Dame, and 
you know what? That was a pretty neat moment to be there. And there was no reporters. There, there wasn't a single media outlet there. And I'm going like, well, he's going to Notre Dame. Is that not pretty big? And I just, I think, well, actually, there was one TV camera there. There was a TV camera there. But so little coverage. And then, boom, here he is being picked by the Steelers. And that kind of stuff, it really stands out. You, I mean, you really, he, really he remember stuck out, though. He stuck, like, I mean, anybody who didn't see that one, yeah, you, your eyes aren't working. He, he yeah, stuck exactly. out like a sore thumb. He was just better than everybody. Like, wow. he, he was better than everybody at anything. I remember watching him play basketball. I'm like, this guy's scoring way too many points. <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah, no, I, and it's funny. When you, when you talk about that, I automatically think of, you know, Lamar Durant at Centennial when he was there and went to Simon Fraser and was so good. And of course now in in the CFL with the lions, but basketball wise too, what a phenomenal player. He was a scoring machine. So you could just write the list and I could, we could do this all afternoon. Honestly, there's been so many great, um, so many great athletes. Um, and as I, as I project those BC athletes into the local university world, you know, and watch them play, um, you know, like someone like Chris Young when she was at Hansworth and then went to UBC and became, I guess, the all, their all-time scorer now, I think, before she had left. I mean, that was an amazing thing to watch. And that's one of those ones where you could see everything there and you knew that when she went to the next level, uh, it was going to happen. Well, um, one of the things that's kind of cool like about a Chris Young, you know, and there's been quite a few different types of kids like this, when you play senior in grade nine and you as a, as a reporter have to follow her for four years, and then she goes to UBC for another five years and it's all local and it's all right in your wheelhouse, right? Like it's right in your wheelhouse. You get nine years of covering these people. They kind of hold a special place in your, in your memory. Right. I mean, that's, that's kind of what makes it special. Like there, what other athletes like Chris have kind of done that for you where you've had a sustained period of, of coverage. Why? Well, I mean, I can't think of all of them off the top. I mean, look at the picture behind me. Right, like, Diana you, Lee you behind this one. Yeah. Diana Lee. Uh, who gave me this picture of herself uh, taken by Blair Shire right when she graduated from Hansworth. Of course, she was at Boise for a couple of years, but she was back at UBC to finish her career. That's another player. And those Hansworth teams were, were so great. Um, Erica McGinnis, uh, I didn't cover her in high school, but I mean, that was a great career at UBC. Uh, so many of the Simon Fraser girls, obviously. I mean, I've been broadcasting their games for 15 years now. Um, I mean, how many of them have I seen play from a very young age, grade 10, 11, 12, through four years, and maybe a redshirt at Simon Fraser? That's eight years. It's just so incredible. I just feel so lucky that I get to be someone who gets to tell the stories and, and do this kind of stuff, Anthony. It's a privilege just to be able to go to the gym and, and have people know that you're there to better high school and college and university sports. I mean, it, it's such a welcoming feeling that I get wherever I go that it just keeps me going. And I, I'm not gonna do this much longer, but you know, it's, it certainly has been enriching. So talk about rivalries. What, what, what rivalries have really stuck out to you that have really, like if you were to make a top three rivalry oh, list, like you listen, these are the games you gotta go to, go check these out, what would those be? Well, the, the one that I always write about that I want to see resume is the Shrumble. I just think UBC SFU is just so great, just in terms of the size well, of the we're going to start. We're going to start a controversy right now. I have yeah. personally tried to get the basketball games to happen. I've gone out of my way. I think the football games, the fact that they don't happen is insanity. I think they're, they're talking about making it happen this year. But, like, the, it's like Texas and Texas A&M never playing each other. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, 
the fact that that nobody that me and you i think me and you are the only people that think this is important like it's a you know one of the things i said was when a kid like jane cody okay this i'm going to use him specifically because i think it's an important one when Jaden Cohey goes on his recruiting visit to Seattle U, they didn't invite him for any of the games. They invited him for the game they played against Washington because it's the only game anyone goes to watch Seattle U. They invite him down there. He sees a game with 15,000 people at it, and he's like, holy smokes, I need to be a part of this. The stadium's full. It seems cool. It's exciting. Well, the only game that draws in this town, I got into a fight with somebody on Facebook like a couple of years ago, and I'm like, they were like, oh, the rivalry with UVic and UBC. It's like, and Kevin's going to get really angry when he watches this. But th they don't have a rivalry anymore. It's not a rivalry. It may have been a rivalry 20 years ago before my time, but those days are over. The rivalry is SFU and UBC. They're the, both the mega center universities in our town. And the fact that they don't play each other is, is mind-boggling. But more importantly, a kid like Jaden Cohey, if he had gone to that SFU-UBC game, and he had seen the stadium full, and he had seen a fantastic atmosphere for a game, Maybe instead of dreaming of going to Seattle U, he dreams of going to UBC or SFU. And we get to keep a guy like that, who obviously is one of the best players, I'm assuming you covered in your high school. He was one of the best players you've ever covered. Like, we got to keep guys like that and creating events and atmospheres. Like, that's what Bill Disbrook did, right? People are like, oh, he recruited the hell out of everybody. Well, guess what? Maybe people showed up because they wanted to play in the game against the best high school teams in America. Maybe people wanted to be a part of these cool atmospheres. You know what I mean? Like, I think I think that's a that's a big one that's missing. Anyway, so I I lost track. Of <laughs> you're, you're picking boxes right now with me. Like, I agree with everything <laughs> you're saying. And you know, I'll tell you, Jaden's passion when he came back to play and finish his career at UBC, it made you proud. The way he so steadfastly showed his love of the game and the fact that he was playing back in his hometown, I love that. Like, that is a priceless thing. And yeah, maybe he would have stayed if he'd seen that. I, these games do need to be played. And, and so much of it is based on, you know, Canada West basketball keeps changing its format, its scheduling to the point where the fan, I think, has trouble sometimes grasping what's going to happen from season to season. And the UVic-UBC rivalry is really out of Kevin Hansen's control just in terms of the way they schedule it. You know, it just doesn't happen as much as it should. Well, so, there was 300 people at the game. It's like, well, that's not a rivalry game. When SFU played UBC the year that SFU had the worst team they've ever had, uh, maybe four years ago, the, the gym was full at UBC. Everyone knew UBC was going to win by 30 plus, 40, whatever it was. It was some crazy number. But people still went to the game because they wanted to be at SFU-UBC. It was the only game that drew. And it's like, when you know a game's going to be a 40-point ball and you still feel like you got to go to the game, that's a rivalry. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. So anyway, so we got SFU, UBC, obviously. What else you got? Um, well, you know what? The, uh, I mean, the Saints-VC series is incredible. I, like, that is – I've seen the games at Saints instead of Vancouver College the last few years, but when I've, anytime I've gone to that series – you know, it builds the whole day because they're playing with the younger teams up to that final game. And I don't know, Anthony, how many high school games I've gone to where they've had to have a video screen set up in the next gym just because they know the main gym will be completely sold out and they have to have overflow seating. I don't and know if it's like this anymore, but I, 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 my friend, I'm good friends with Kevin Gonar. And when his kid was playing on the team at, at uh, Vancouver College, he had to pretend I was a member of his family. 
so that I could get tickets to the game because <laughs> they didn't sell tickets. There was no tickets. I had to get a wristband. And like that, that's an unbelievable experience. People remember the rest of their life. It was unbelievable in there. Yeah, it, it really, that, 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 there's just something about that. And I think it was even more, it was, the, the atmosphere was even better when one team had a chance of not making the provincials based on that series. But still, that, that, the energy that, that is there for that is incredible. Um, you know, it's, it's just been, in terms of the boys' high school rivalries right there near the top the, the whole time, like every year, regardless of where the teams are, it, it's always super. And when Lloyd and, and Bill have, were coaching those teams and they would go against each other, it was, it was fantastic to watch. You got one more for me? What's another, what's one more big rivalry that really got you going? There's so many of them. Um, you know what? I'm going to think of them as soon as uh, I wasn't ready for this. Well, I'll, tell you what, I'll tell you one that got me going for a little bit was when the BC boys only let one team from North Van in. Oh, okay. Uh, obviously it was a little close to me because, but you had the two best teams in the entire province playing each other and these egotistical maniacs only let one of the two in. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'll, I'll fight any of them right now if they want to go because that was outrageous. They were the two best teams in the province. The year Argyle won the championship. Everybody knew they were the two best teams in the province. And they come up with these stupid formulas of why they can't let the other team in. And it's like, what are you doing? And then so, you know, the gym was full. I still remember when – were you there when Scott Morrison ripped the, the, the rim off the back? Oh, no, I wrote a story. Somebody sent me the pictures of it afterwards, yeah. He ripped the rim right off. The gym was full. There, it wasn't 100% capacity. It was about 95% capacity. Right. He ripped the, the rim off the backboard. Larry Donahoe, he had to go to Sutherland to try to get the rim off the Sutherland court so they could finish the game. The, the rim <laughs> didn't fit. So then he had to go to Carson. He went and got the rim. He comes back. He puts the rim back on. And by the time the game starts, there's more people at the game. So not only did people not go home, we're talking like an hour here. That's like, it's 10, it's 10 minutes to Sutherland, it's 10 minutes back, it's 10 minutes to Carson, it's 10 minutes back. Like, it, it was an hour later, we're at 10 o'clock at night, and they're putting the, the rim back up, and it was like, it was unbelievable. And obviously, they don't really have a rivalry anymore, but that was, that was real. Like, there was, you know, there was chanting, you know, one of the things when they start making fun of the players, I find that funny, because the great ones find a way to score more points when you make fun of them. You know what I mean? The great ones... I remember they were making fun of Kepke and he would start hitting shots from like just past center and he would start giving them like he would start looking at people and then they would start making fun of Burke and he would make unbelievable plays and then he would start looking at them and then Kevin Shaw kept hitting threes and then Sacre was a young guy he was playing great um you know so so you got a little bit of rivalry like that but while you're thinking about another one how about when Sacre went to the NBA and played for the Lakers what was that like for you? You know what I remember the most about that is I remember the draft night because you remember he was the last guy picked in the draft. It was impossible, you know, to forget that and to talk to him after that happened. Uh, he, it was unbelievable. The, one of those moments where, you know, he just didn't know what was going to happen and he's waiting there the whole time and he's the last guy. And oh, that was so crazy to watch that happen. And, and he got in the perfect situation for him too, right? They didn't have anybody that they could, most second round picks never actually make the league, but they, they, they had such a high salary cap. They, whoever they were drafting was making the team and staying because they needed somebody that wouldn't make that much money. Yeah. So he got to play with Kobe and hang out and do all that stuff. Like what an unbelievable experience. How about Kelly Olenek now, now that he's oh. in Miami? And what's that like for you? Well, you know, it, it's crazy because I mean, I remember this kid, he had a growth spurt in a year when he didn't, 
play because he was hurt. And I was at the game where he got hurt. He, he broke his shoulder. He was at Mercer Stadium quarterbacking the South Cam Titans football team, and he got sacked. And season-ending injury, I was there watching the game. And then he goes through the massive growth spurt. And then by the time he gets to his senior year, like that is the single most dominant player I've ever seen at the Provincial High School Championships. His senior year led the tournament in scoring, rebounding, uh, and assists at his size and was tied for the lead in block shots. Like that will never happen again. It was just unbelievable to watch that happen. And then, you know, this kind of waiting game he played at Gonzaga when he got his chance and it all happened for him just on cue and, and, and making it to the league was so great to see. And uh, what a great guy he is. And he gives back so much. I mean, people don't know this, but he's, you know, he's ta- he talks to the TRU guys through Scott Clark all the time. He's, he's giving all the time to the university game in BC, even though he didn't play university basketball in this province. So great guy, yeah. Oh, he's a great. He's, I remember him on the provincial teams. Um, he was always nice with the girls when we were on the provincial teams, and he was on the provincial team. And it was, he's, he's been he's been great. We got a, you know, and I don't think people really realize like how successful he's been down there. Like you know, he, he's he's a big deal down there, and they they've had an opportunity to get rid of a lot of players on that team, and they they're he's the one guy they're not getting rid of. So that's, I think I tell you something because Pat Riley's he's a godfather, right? And he's like Kelly Olenek's my guy. Stick around, and so that's kind of cool to see. That's so cool too. But my grade eight, I didn't play on the basketball team. But when I was in grade eight at Sands Junior Secondary School, which is only in its second year, this is 76, 77, Ken Olenek coached the grade eight or the grade nine boys basketball team. Kelly's dad was at that school. And uh, I, I went back in my yearbook right around the time when, when, uh, when Olenek was, was really starting to make waves. I got second, yeah, that's his dad. He was at our school. I thought it was the same guy. So there's all these local connections, uh, you know, with all these guys. It's so great to see. Absolutely. So, you know, obviously uh, you end up leaving the, the province. You got a cool opportunity to go work uh, for the guys in Langley. Talk about the switch um, and what it's like to kind of be a free bird and get to do whatever you feel like. I, I enjoy it. I, I feel like, you know, I, I love what my, Um, daily newspaper experience gave me for 23 years at the province, Anthony. It was learning to write on deadline and learning to write to a certain space and a certain amount of words is is a true craft. And those guys, you know, my my fellow former co-workers still continue to do that every day on deadline and it's not easy to do. But when you get a chance to write about what you love and you can set the agenda and you can write in the style that you want to write, it's to me, it was absolutely freeing. And I think for a while, maybe I got, I got a little too wordy and a little too, you know, long-winded perhaps. But, I, but I've, I, I think that I found my voice more clear than I ever have in terms of being a writer uh, over those, these last three years plus that I've been with Varsity Letters. And it's been absolutely tremendous. It's to reach this point in your career where you're supported and you're able to write whatever you want to write is... I think a dream for, for writers and I'm glad and privileged to be in that position. Absolutely. So this past year at the, at the uh, boys tournament for high school, they had all the different champions on the, on the boards. What was it like going through all that rundown and seeing all the different teams that you'd covered over those years? That could be, it was cool for me. And I, I, we won a championship when I was in high school at St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, it was just a single light one, but we were still there on that list. And it was kind of, people kept testing me the picture of me standing with a banner. <laughs> what, what was it like going through there uh, and, and seeing all those teams and kind of like a, a slice of history? 
It really was. And, you know, everybody, I'll first say this, everybody wonders why the high school basketball championship is so popular, the boys championship. And you know what, if the recorded history to the level that the boys have was there for every other provincial tournament, even the less respect. By the way, we have better, I, when I was there, we have better records of the, of the boys championship than they have in the NBA. They don't have video of, or, or recordings of Will Chamberlain scoring 100 points. They don't have that stuff. They, they, when we were there at the dinner, they're playing audio. Winslade's dad had audio from like well, the first tournament. I'm like, is this a joke? Where the where they they get this stuff from? It's like it's all in the basement. We got it all. We got everything. Every score sheet, every championship game. We got we got pictures of the winner. I'm like, oh my goodness, wow. See, that that is why you know. The, the product sells itself and it's an incredible legacy that's tied to families and sport and the whole thing. But to have that extra card of that history there so complete is the reason it can, it can hold your attention and just take your breath away when you make comparisons or you need research information. You, you just don't have that to that extent for all the other sports. And when you have it, it makes all the difference. One guy is responsible for that and that's Ken Winslade. He is the single biggest reason that BC high school basketball for boys holds the significance that it does because he treasured the history at a time when people might not have thought I've got to keep everything. And he kept everything. It's amazing. So I, I feel that's the reason. And talking about going into that room, I, I mean, I literally, I couldn't leave once I went in. Like I just, I, I was 10 minutes at every single team just looking at it. It was incredible to watch. And 75 years, the anniversary, I don't think they could have done it better. And, and it's amazing with COVID, Anthony, that we got that tournament in 75 years and then boom, everything shut down. Unreal. And it's funny because, you know, um, you, you see the work that the Winslades have put in and all these other people and they've kind of made it a family situation where everybody's kind of involved and you're allowed to come back and you're allowed to check it out. And, you know, um, my buddy, uh, he played in the tournament a long time ago and he just had a kid and he can't wait to take his kid out there to go watch the games. And it's like, it's like a, it's like a historical generational type deal. And it's, it's kind of, it's, it's nothing you see yet. You haven't seen anything like it. And, and so I'm curious to see, you know, obviously there's going to be some stuff with BC school sports, but I, I think hopefully people smarten up and, and leave them alone a little bit because what, what's, what's happened with that tournament is it's one of the great uh, generational reminders of how cool something in school can be because you know, a public school and, and private school and all these schools, they've changed so many different things and very few things are the same as they were back in the day. But this one tournament still has the history. It still has the thing. Well, anyway, um, I'm going to say thank you so much. Uh, personally, uh, I've enjoyed uh, being a part of your journey. I've, I've enjoyed watching your journey. I've enjoyed reading your articles. Um, I love how you, you put them all together and, 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 you know, when I started coaching in 2002, I remember when you, when you wrote your first article on one of my teams a couple of years later, it was, it was a monumental uh, moment. Yeah. We were in the province. It was a big deal. And now we're full circle and we're here today. And I really appreciate I just wanted to say thank you. So thank you so much for that. And it's, it's been great. Well, thank you for being such a great friend, Anthony. You're, you're always there for me. I, I can't say enough for what you represent to so many people. And it's, it's, you're, you're, you're just, you're a visionary in what you're doing. Uh, we're so glad to have you as like so many people enter this forum and just leave They They don't stick around. And that's what you've done. And I love that about you. 
and uh, I thank you for for having me on today and letting me. T like I said to you, uh, this is my 38th year in the business, and I've never been given the forum to just tell my story. So it's been really fun, and thank you for that. No, it's been great. And you know, one of the things is, you know, the thing, the things that made me successful are my grade seven basketball coach and my grade seven principal. So basketball has had such an impact on me personally, but obviously it's had a huge impact on you. And you know, you're closing in on 40 years. I'm excited to see it. We'll have a big party. And thank you so much, Howard. We'll talk soon. All right, Anthony. Thanks so much.